0: Well, good morning. I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, My name is Jeff Watts, and I am the student minister here. Uh, Pastor Ridge is out of town with family, and so I'm excited to be um, able to preach, to to explore God's Word with you guys today. Uh, We're going to be in the 23rd Psalm, Psalm 23. I realize that uh, the last couple, really today, this morning, is not ideal or typical baseball weather. Maybe it's the uh, the afterglow of a range, the Rangers winning the World Series. Uh, that's something that it took a little while, but we're excited for it. Baseball has always been a little. Uh, people say baseball is romantic. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of memories there for me. A lot of my memories growing up with my dad and my brother um, around baseball fields, playing baseball, watching baseball. Uh, one of my favorite movies growing up was The Sandlot. Anybody else? We've seen The Sandlot before? Okay. The Sandlot is a movie about baseball, but really it's about adolescence. It's about growing up. And the, uh, the antagonist in The Sandlot is this, uh, spoiler alert, it's a dog. It's a normal dog. But you don't know that yet. They call it the beast. The beast, Okay. Um, the house is almost like haunted and they don't know if they lose balls over there and they just don't even go after them because the beast. Even worse is the owner that lives in the home and there's stories about all these people that have gone missing and bodies and um, all the stuff we love to get scared about when we're young. The legend says that the beast has eaten members of the community and he's chained up in the backyard and they never dared go back there until they lost a ball signed by some girl named Baby Ruth. Babe Ruth, okay, uh, help me out here. Uh, Signed by Babe Ruth, the kid doesn't know it, he's trying to fit in, he brings his stepdad's autographed baseball, they hit it over the fence, they lose it, and they realize we have to get that ball back. So there's silly scenes of them making like vacuum contraptions and trying to reach over the fence, and every time the beast devours their equipment. And at the end of the movie... There's an epic chase scene, and you realize it's a big dog, but it's not a beast. And you realize that the guy who lived there was old. They just didn't know him. turned out the guy used to play baseball with Babe Ruth. And I say all that to say that what they believed about the beast, what they believed about the homeowner, informed how they approached him. They could have just knocked on the door. It wouldn't have been a movie, though. <laughs> what they believed about the beast informed how they approached him. We do this with people, and I think today the point I want to get at is that we do this with God. How we view God, how our kids view God, will inform how they approach him. So if that's true, then it's crucial we develop within ourselves And we develop within our communities a proper idea of who God is. Who is God? How does he relate to his people? What about when I come up short? What about when I mess up? What about when I'm found out? What about when I'm in a season of loss? Or I'm trying my best and things still aren't going my way? What we believe about God informs how we approach him. That's one of the reasons I love Psalm 23. Because Psalm 23 gives us language for who God is. A beautiful picture of a sheep and a shepherd. And it gives us a picture of how he leads those under his care. Would you guys praise me this morning before we read scripture together? Father God, I pray that today you would make space in this room, in our hearts and minds today, the beginning of the the hectic holiday season, that we would have space just to sit, to hear from your word, to be renewed by it, to be convicted, to be encouraged. Lord, that you'd speak through your word in a powerful way. Lord, that you'd speak through me and that your word would strike each of our hearts exactly how it needs to. Help us to be focused and to hear from you. We love you, Jesus, and it's your name we pray, amen. Amen. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Tell us very clearly, the Lord is our shepherd, and he has what we need. The question is, if we'll trust him. Will we trust him? David himself, the, uh, the one credited with many of the psalms, the author of this one, um, David himself was a good shepherd, and he understood the circumference of the task of taking care of sheep. Sheep aren't known for being well-mannered or very intelligent. And spoiler alert, the Bible calls us sheep a lot, so do with that what you will. No, David understood the circumference of this task. He himself knew the care, the dedication, the patience. David took care of his father's sheep, and we know from Scripture um, that he risked his life fighting off predators to take care of the flock. Remember when he's telling King Saul why he's, suitable, like, why he's able to take down Goliath? He says, no, I fought off bears, I fought off lions. If that's how David cares about his father's sheep, then how much more does Jesus care about his father's sheep? Why then are we still prone to chase after greener pastures, to chase after different water sources? Why do we assume we know the way? If he really has what I need, then where in the world am I going? I think sometimes to understand the significance of something, we have to understand the opposite a little bit, and the power of calm, of still waters in this passage. A few years ago, Hannah and I uh, were able to go to Hawaii to uh, her brother's wedding, uh, which was pretty awesome, not going to lie. Um... And I mean I grew up in Texas. I've been to the ocean. I've been to Galveston, okay? Help me out. Um I grew up on lakes. I've been in boats, but her uh, her brother, Tim, and his wife Addie, um they they actually met sailing. Um they sail boats. I paddled boats, okay? <laughs> um they sail and they invited us on their sailboat um to take us out a couple days before the wedding on Pearl Harbor. I mean, who gets to do that? And so uh, we got to go, we got on the boat, and Hannah and I were feeling I'm like, I've been on boats, I'll go sit at the front. So Hannah and I go sit at the front and we, we scoot out of the marina and, and in the harbor. There's some waves, but it's pretty gentle, right? It's a harbor, it's protected. And they take us out of the mouth of the harbor and we leave the calm water and we get further and further out into the Pacific Ocean, okay? And the waves get bigger and bigger. I start holding on to Hannah a little tighter a little tighter, water's splashing up on us now. And and we didn't know at the time that they had just refinished the deck. Um, And the material they used for whatever reason um, was not very aquatic suitable. So it got wet, it got really slippery. So then we're like sliding around. And I'm like, man, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die in Hawaii. Uh, They recognize our peril and they make room in the back and we go and we sit down. Um, But the fact of the matter is that chaotic waters threaten us. They wear us down. They don't lead to life. We need fresh water. We don't need stagnant water. Um, but chaotic waters lead to death. In fact, in the ancient Hebrew tradition, um, chaos waters was the place of, they thought that's where souls went to Sheol, place of the dead. They thought that was the source of, of darkness, right? You can't see to the bottom. And so in, in Genesis, um, in the creation account, who calms the chaotic waters? Yahweh. God the creator does. And then we get to the New Testament, and in the gospel stories, who calms the Sea of Galilee whenever its waters are chaotic and threatening? It's Jesus, our good shepherd. The first thing we see in this passage is that when the Lord is your shepherd— his presence means your provision. Just because he's there, you have what you need. That's the promise of Psalm 23. His presence is your provision. Yet, we must recognize that presence is the promise, not painlessness. You guys tracking with me? The shepherd is present, but it doesn't mean that danger's not or that harm's not. Presence is the promise, not painlessness. Verses 3 and 4, we see that he renews, he directs, and he walks alongside. He is with us. Will we follow him? That's the sheep's job. The sheep doesn't have to figure anything out other than just go on where the shepherd tells it to. Sometimes I think we get duped into believing that if God loves us, Or that if we're walking in and we have blessing or we're experiencing this, that um, we're not going to experience trials or hardship or pain. The reality is, is that we inhabit a broken world filled with sin. We live with broken people. We go to church with broken people because we are broken people. Jesus corrects that. Right? We're new creations in Christ, but the reality is is the world we live in is awaiting the rest of that redemption. There will be trouble. And I love that this psalm doesn't skip around it. He says, in the the green pasture, in the still water, the Lord's with me. You know where else he's with me? The dark valleys. When death seems like it's at my door. He's present through all that. I think that's the power of this passage is that our good shepherd is right there with us, guiding, protecting, watching, correcting. When the Lord is your shepherd, his presence is your power. David's sheep didn't fight off those predators on their own, but their shepherd did. That was their confidence doesn't mean we get all snooty and attitudey about it, but recognize that um, because when Christ is my shepherd, his power is mine. He protects. He corrects. He leads. What we believe about God informs how we approach him. It shapes how we approach God. I recently watched a documentary on Netflix about the Florida Gators. Um, Anyone else see that one? Cool. Okay. Um, (laughs) It was, I'll say, they took it easy on them. Um, It was the Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow era, and there was a lot of characters on that team. Um, It was a pretty, like, rose-colored view of that era of Florida football. But what I found interesting about it was how difficult and how, like, stretching of an athletic program it was. And at the time, it was a pretty desirable place to be, right? If you're a top athlete, you want to go somewhere where you can win a championship, Or you want to go somewhere where you're going to get on national TV so that the pros want you whenever you graduate. So a lot of guys showed up to play football and they go through this process and it is grueling. And a lot of the top talent didn't make it. They said, you know what, if this is what, I'm going to go play somewhere where it's not quite as hard. Because we have that in us. We have the desire to, to make it without having to put all the sacrifice or the work in. But what made that team pretty good for a few years was that some of the athletes absolutely thrived off of the structure and the discipline and the correction of those coaches the ones who stuck around stuck around and they were elite what they found in coach Meyer and the whole program was structure structure that some of them didn't have in their life growing up Structure that um, their talent had gotten them to college, but guess what? Sometimes natural talent only takes you so far. And the structure gave them the pathway to continue to grow. The athletes who thrived craved this structure, this culture, and what it was was a pathway for their success. You see, structure leads to life. A good shepherd doesn't let his sheep wander aimlessly. No, there's structure. The rod, the staff they carry, um, is, is for defense of predators, but it's also correction. It's also to put them back on the right path, the path that will lead to life. I think in our own lives, in our own marriages sometimes, maybe with our kids or our coworkers, we have to fight the temptation to think that unrestricted freedom is the mark of true love and care and his love for us, and the shepherd's love for his flock and Christ's love for the church, he sets us on the right paths, even though our sin causes us to wander to the wrong ones. He calls us back. He sets us straight. True love, um, true structure, wants that sheep, that person, that situation to flourish. And sometimes that means hard things. Sometimes that means um, temporary discomfort or going without so that later on we're in a better situation. Any of y'all that have ever grown tomatoes successfully know they need a little bit of help. Tomato plants need a little bit of help. They tend to do best if they are suspended or hanging or they have some, some wire or they have a trellis to support on. Because at first it's not a big deal, but when the fruit starts to come in and it starts to ripen and develop and grow it weighs down that plant. And if you don't have any structure, eventually that tomato sits in the dirt, and when the morning dew comes in, or any insect, it's easy pickings. So there's this hardship placed on the tomato plant that it can't go grow wherever it wants to. No, it has a rule, it has a structure, it has a boundary, but that boundary is for its good. That boundary is so that it can bear fruit when it's supposed to so that it can be developed and mature and it can reproduce. What we believe about who God is will inform how we approach him. Remember that in this psalm, David is giving us language for who God is. He's giving us a peek into what an intimate relationship with God can look like. Not all of us in this room right now look at this passage and can say, yeah, the Lord's my shepherd. That's the desirable place to be. It's a peek. It's a look into, hey, when the Lord is your shepherd, this is what that can look like in your life. He was reminding himself that when you're walking with the Lord, his presence is power. If you know David's life story, you know that it was not all easy. (laughs) He might have written this in a cave somewhere hiding for his life. But the Lord's presence is his provision. The Lord's presence is his power. He was reminding himself, this is who my God is, even if I don't see it right now. He was reminding himself that even the Lord's correction, although it's painful sometimes, is for our good. It's for our benefit. Structure is not the enemy of freedom. It's not the enemy of flourishing. Anarchy is. Disorder is. Chaotic waters are. When the Lord is your shepherd, his correction is your comfort. What we believe about who God is informs how we approach him. Verse 5 to 6 tells us that because the Lord is with us, so are his attributes. Namely, the psalmist highlights goodness and mercy. In fact, Out of his goodness and mercy, he paints a picture of of the Lord setting a table for us. Preparing a place for us in the presence of our enemies. To me, that sounds like an invitation. The Lord's prepared a table for us. Will you sit with him? Will you join him? Not only does our God take us where we need to go and accompany us through the trials of life... He also chases us down when we go astray. All so that we can come back and we can sit and we can partake for the table that he sat at us. He has set for us. I know Psalm 23 isn't traditionally a a Christmas passage, but can you all hear the advent, the anticipation here? Can you hear the Emmanuel, the God with us in this passage? He's inviting us to walk with him. As the shepherd stays close to his sheep, so does the goodness and mercy of our God to his people. David says these attributes of God are not far off. They're not distant. They're not obtainable for only a select few. No, they are for all of his sheep. I think that. Another beautiful part of this passage is that it's not based on our behavior. No, the, uh, the prerequisite, the idea we walk into it with, is that um, you're a sheep and you need a shepherd. You didn't earn this. You didn't make it happen. You didn't get a seat at the table because you figured out something that someone else didn't. No, it's based on the attributes of who God is. Because God cares about his people. Because Jesus is a good shepherd, goodness and mercy David says we're going to pursue him all of his days. I can't get away from him. I've tried. They're not, they're, they're not outrunnable. It's not something you conjure up yourself. No, it is who our God is. Do you see that what we believe about God will inform how we approach him? Do you see that if I'm convinced that I'm not good enough, Or that I missed my chance. Or that I've messed up too many times since the last time I said I wouldn't anymore. That makes it about us. And what Psalm 23 tells us is that we have a God who is near. Who is always approachable. He's present. Last thing we see in this passage is that when the Lord is your shepherd... You will always have a seat at his table. You're not losing it. And I said it's based on God. It's in his kindness. He anoints our head with oil to remind us who we belong to and so that we can enjoy his provisions in peace. Our enemies are present. Hardship is present. But all they can do is Watch. All they can do is look on from a distance. Because guess what? Our shepherd is right there with us and his rod and his staff, they comfort. Again, David the shepherd is sharing with us some vivid imagery if if we're willing, if we're able to look into it. Sheep have a tendency to drift. They wander, they look for food. The shepherd redirects. These simple creatures... Like I said, they're not often praised for a keen intellect or, or much else. <laughs> Is it a wonder <laughs> that often in Scripture the people of God are likened to sheep? Isaiah the prophet writes that we all went astray like sheep. We have all turned our own way. Years later, Jesus would say of his sheep, what do you think? If someone has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and go search for the stray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over that sheep more than over the 99 that did not go astray. In the same way, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. I love this passage. Because it's telling us that whenever the sheep goes astray, whenever the the 99 are found and they're where they're supposed to be and one's missing, there's a type of pursuit that happens. The shepherd goes after the sheep, but he doesn't go after the sheep to obliterate the wandering creature or to punish. He goes after it to restore it, to reintegrate it, to put the sheep back on the right path. And it says, when that happens, there is more celebration than over the 99 that stayed where they were supposed to be. That's our shepherd. And what we believe about him informs how we approach him. David knew something about anointings. He himself had been anointed before his brothers and his father. He also had done some anointing. The picture here of this passage is the picture in the tradition of Palestinian shepherds um, that would make ointment for their livestock. If you own animals today, you know how awful flies can be. I worked for a guy in, in college who owned some cattle, and uh, one day the, the task I had was to rig up these, like, I don't even know what you call them. I wasn't very good at it, but um, there was like this fly ointment resistant stuff, and I made like a little car wash looking thing that they would walk through and it would put the deterrent on them so they could have some peace of mind. Because flies will get in any orifice, they'll lay eggs, That can be such a hard... They've been a nuisance forever. So shepherds, back in the day, to correct this, made a type of anointing, they made an ointment. A lot of times, um, in that region, it would have been olive oil. It would have been some different spices. And it wasn't just applied once. It was applied as often as the sheep needed it, so that they could eat and drink in peace. Think of uh, the moment in in Lion King where he like rubs the stuff on his forehead. Um, They rub it all over their heads and what it would do, um, it gave them peace. So the shepherd's not just putting them in a spot where they can eat and drink. He's giving them peace of mind to be able to actually appreciate where they are. Again, he's meeting needs that they cannot meet on their own. And the table being prepared, I think of a, of a dining room table. A shepherd might have thought more about a, a meadow. They would scout out land that looked reasonable for their sheep. Did it have grass? Did it have enough grass for their flock? And sometimes they would go before the sheep and they would lay um, like salt licks and minerals out in this pasture so that the sheep have even more of what they needed. They would make sure it was safe. They would make sure it had what they needed. It was a table prepared for the herd of sheep. And there could be danger all around, but again, the shepherd's present, and he wards off the attacks. He prepares a table for these sheep. That's how David saw the Lord taking care of him. In the same way, the Lord goes before us and prepares places of nourishment and places of rest. Not only does he provide that, he anoints our heads with oil so that we can truly be at rest where he has us. Later on, the church in the New Testament will liken anointings um, to the presence of the Holy Spirit. With no anointing, With no fly ointment, with no Holy Spirit, there can be no peace. But guess what? In the presence of our shepherd, he provides that. David reminds himself and the reader that at the end of the day, his cup, your cup, his portion, your portion, they are abundant. They're overflowing. You have what you need. That's the reality if the Lord is your shepherd. As the band comes back up, I want us to see that how and what we believe about God informs how we approach him. What we believe about God informs how we approach him. So let's believe, right? Let's together, let's believe the right things about who God is. Let's believe true things about who God is. My question for you today, for each of us in the room, do you believe that when the Lord is your shepherd, his presence means your provision? It's true. Do you believe that when the Lord is your shepherd, his presence is your power? Not because you're powerful not because I've got it figured out because our God is powerful do you believe that when the Lord is your shepherd his correction can be your comfort doesn't mean it's easy but when we know why (laughs) that's what we want to be a part of lastly do you believe that when the Lord is your shepherd you will always have a seat at his table he's prepared a place for you He's prepared a place for me, a place um, where we can be nourished, a place that restores our soul, a place um, that takes us from the wrong paths and puts us back on the right paths, a place of life. What we believe about who God is informs how we approach Him. It's worth considering, too, that our faith in Jesus is a personal decision, but it's something that's practiced and something that is experienced in community. So I have to recognize you have to recognize that what you believe about God doesn't just inform your picture of him, it informs the people um, that look up to you. It informs their view of who God is. My view of God and how I how I approach him shapes my wife's view in the same way that hers can shape mine, you know, we've got an eighth month old, but all of a sudden we're like, oh, we're responsible for pointing her towards the Lord. My view doesn't just affect me. No, it affects the people around me. And so um, all of us need to do the work to step back and see, hey, um, are we correct in our belief? Have I bought into something that's not true about who God is? Has the enemy convinced me of something that God wouldn't have me believe Recently, a couple, a couple months ago, Hannah and I started reciting Psalm 23 uh, with our baby girl every night as part of the, part of the bedtime routine. Um, you know the stuff that you do for other people because they need it, and then you're like, oh, maybe I needed it. <laughs> I will tell you, reflecting, memorizing, reciting a passage of scripture every night— It'll force you to confront some things. It is correction, and it can be comfort. You see, we started this because we wanted Micah to know from an early age that the Lord is with her. The Lord desires to be her shepherd. We wanted her to know that his presence is our provision, that his correction is our comfort, and that we will always have a seat at his table. Like I said, what started for her has proven to be a really sweet practice for our whole family. And I still laugh because Hannah and I grew up memorizing different translations. And so she says still waters, and I say calm water. And guess what? It's all the same. It's been a sweet practice and a reminder for our whole family. And maybe that reminder is for you guys here today too. Would y'all pray with me? Father God, we recognize that you desire to be with us. We're on the cusp of the Advent season that proves that, um, Jesus, you didn't just want to love us from afar, but you came and you dwelt among us. Jesus, we call you the good shepherd for a reason. I pray today that we would be reminded of who we are in Christ. Lord, who um, you have called us to be. Lord, that we wouldn't be um, stuck or spinning circles around um, sin or missed opportunities, but today we could um, confess, we could start fresh and um, Lord, that you would put us back on the right path for your name's sake. Lord, I pray for anyone in the room today who desires you to be their shepherd, but they've never made that decision. Lord, they've never trusted in you. I pray that today would be their day of salvation. I pray that today would be the first day they get to recognize your provision, your power, your presence, and your comfort. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I invite you guys to reflect and respond to the truth we heard today. Are you needing the provision and the power of the Lord in your life right now? Me too. (laughs) Humble yourself. Ask for it. The shepherd wants to provide that for his sheep. Maybe you've been frustrated because it feels like the Lord has left you wanting you feel like you're doing the right things and it's still not panning out the way you want it to. The thing you desire, the thing that you hope for has happened for everybody else and not for you for some reason. Remember that he's with us in the green meadows and the dark valleys. His rod and his staff aren't just there to punish. No, they're there um, to protect, to correct, and to put you on the right path. I invite you to come cry out to the Lord this morning. Perhaps you've been far off like that sheep that wandered away. You've got some confessing you need to do. You've got something you need to repent of. And you need to be reminded that when the Lord is your shepherd, he won't just let you slip away. There's a seat at a table that he has prepared for you today. Amen? Last thing I want to say is maybe you've never known the Lord as your shepherd. Maybe you've never known Jesus as your Savior. And today, maybe you recognize that for the first time, that need, that desire. We'd love to pray with you. I'd love to to walk you through that today. If you've been here for a while and you're pondering joining our church, If today's the day, I'm sure Ridge won't be mad that it happened while he was gone. He'll love to hear about it this week, okay? And if you've been putting off baptism or some other step of obedience, you don't have to put it off anymore. Would you guys stand with me this morning and reflect and respond to the truth and what the Lord's calling you to do?